then I am what? I'm nothing. And I may have some positive things going on in my life, but if I'm not doing those things with love, what's the profit? I believe that your presence tonight indicates that you're interested in whatever God has to say to His children about the kind of people He wants us to be. If you're talking about manifesting joy and peace from last week, you're interested in that topic. If you're interested in in, in manifesting love, that's a topic tonight. And so we're talking about love tonight as what? The soil from which all other good fruit grows or comes. If a person can get love right, then other things in life will tend to fall in place. And if a person doesn't give the love aspect of his life what it needs to be, then the rest of his life's not going to be what it needs to be. So tonight we're going to focus on love. And I want to look at love briefly in terms of in my relationship with God, what does love do? But I really want to focus tonight about the, the question in my relationship with other humans. What does love do? And then tonight, before we close her down, so to speak, we'll turn over and we'll just read a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How could you do a lesson on love and and not include at least some aspects of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? So, So let's first of all think tonight in terms of our relationship with the Lord, what does love do? Well, there's a lot of ways you can say it, but I want to suggest to you now, first of all, in, in our relationship with the Lord, when, when we're loving in the way we ought to love, love submits to what God has to say. Love submits. Look in your Bible in chapter 14. This is a setting on the last night of, of, of Jesus' life before his death. He's with the apostles in the city of Jerusalem. Look in your Bible there in verse number 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And so Jesus' basic premise here is this. A person who genuinely loves him it is a person who is ready to do what? To submit to what he has to say. And Jesus' message is, those individuals who do that will be blessed by him and the Father. He said, on the other hand, if an individual claims to love him but doesn't submit to what he says, then, then in reality he doesn't love the Lord at all. Look over in chapter 15, the next chapter. Again, the same context, the same people. Verse number 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Well, what would that involve? What would it involve for the disciples of Jesus then and the disciples of Jesus now to continue in Jesus' love? Well, I think we'll get the idea when you look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. First of all, from verse 10, what did Jesus do in order to continue abiding in the Father's love? 
What did Jesus do in order to abide in the Father's love? Answer, he did what the Father told him to do, right? He submitted to the Father. In the same way for Jesus' disciples in any generation to abide in his love, they demonstrate that by doing what? By submitting to what he has to say. You know, the devil would like the devil would like for us to buy into the concept that it's possible to follow Jesus and it's possible to please Jesus without paying any attention to what he wants us to do. That's just not what the Bible teaches. And so when we talk about our relationship with the Lord, number one, love causes us to submit. So our first word is submit. But number two, in our relationship with the Lord, love imitates. Look over in your Bible, if you would, at the very end of Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Would you agree with this idea? Would you agree with the idea that if God has characteristics or attributes which you and I are capable of imitating, then God expects us to imitate those attributes? Would you agree with that? Not everything about God is something which you and I can step up and imitate. For instance, God's all-powerful will never be that. God's all-knowing will never be that. God never had a beginning will never be that. But aren't there characteristics that God possesses which we as humans also can possess and imitate? For instance, for instance we're to be holy like God is holy, right? We're to be forgiving like God is forgiving. We're to be merciful like God is merciful. The same is true when it comes to love. God wants us to imitate His love. Now, at the very end of chapter 4, look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, I should have said this before, but I'm going to work it in right here. You know that when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, at that time it wasn't broken down into chapters and verses. Now, I like my Bible. It's got chapters and verses, don't you? Because I can say, let's turn over to chapter 4 and verse 32, and we can all turn to the same place. But when that letter originally was written, they wouldn't have stopped at the end of what we call chapter 4 and verse 32. Instead, they would have come to the, look at that last statement in chapter 4 and verse 32, and keep on reading, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, be ye therefore followers or imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You come out of the end of chapter 4 with this concept. God wants me to be tender-hearted. God wants me to be kind. And God wants me to be forgiving in my dealings with other people. And then the Bible says, as God's children, act like your father. Be imitators of your father. And then in chapter 5 and verse 2, what's the instruction? Walk in So when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, when love is considered, number one, love submits to what God has to say. Number two, love causes me to imitate my Heavenly Father in the love that He demonstrated. And then number three, and this is the last one I want to mention about our relationship with God. Number three, in our relationship with God, love receives. Love receives a blessing. 
Jesus used a number of approaches in trying to motivate people to make the right choices and do the right things. Okay. Sometimes he spoke about hell. Sometimes he spoke about love. Sometimes he spoke about being like our Heavenly Father. And at times he used the word, are you ready for this? At times he used the word reward. It's not wrong to appeal to people using the concept of reward. Jesus did it. Jesus said those who are persecuted for his sake and righteousness sake, great is their what? Reward in him. Now, how is reward from our Heavenly Father connected with love? Well, in the first chapter of the book of James, James speaks about tests and trials and temptations, some of those from outside sources, some of those from within. And in James chapter 1 and verse number 12, we read this encouraging statement. James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried or proven, he shall receive the crown of life, listen to the rest of it, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. God has given a promise. And that promise is to give or grant the crown of life. Could we ever deserve that? Never. Could we ever put God in a position where God owes us? But God's promise is, I will give the crown of life. And the promise is to those individuals who love Him. And so just in a real simple, basic way, in our relationship with the Lord, love causes us to submit. Love causes us to imitate His love. And love causes us to receive a reward. What I'd like to do in, in, in the rest of our lesson is, Focus on human-to-human relationships and talk about what love ought to cause us to do. You know, some individuals seem to have the, the approach to life. You know what? Life would be a whole lot better if there weren't all these people to deal with. Welcome to the planet Earth. About seven and a half billion of us and counting, rising every day. Seven and a half billion. We live on a planet that's inhabited by a whole bunch of folks. And God has given us instructions about how He wants us to deal with other people. And we have a lot of instructions about love. And so right now we're going to talk then. And I've got several things listed. And, and there's absolutely no order in the way that I have these listed. And you know what? If I were going to make a list of some items that would describe what love does, if I were to just start from scratch in two days, you know what? I think my list could be a whole lot different. And if you were doing a list of things that love does, your list might be entirely different and maybe a whole lot better. In fact, if you come up with one, you share it with me, okay? I'm not ashamed to steal. I mean borrowing somebody else's material. Okay. What does love do in our relationship with other people? First of all, Love acts. Look in your Bible in 1 John chapter 3. Love takes action. In the book of 1 John, particularly in 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4, from a number of different angles, John writes to the Christians 
about the need for them to love one another. And I want you to look with me in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay? That's action, right? Somebody said, well, how do we know God loves us? And, well, I don't know. He just talks about it. He didn't do anything. Well, yes, he did. Verse 16 says, he showed his love by action. What was that action? He laid down his life for us. Now's the call for Christians to take action. Look at verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The point is not, the proper conclusion is not, that it's never appropriate to verbally express love for another human. That's not it. The point is, genuine love takes action. And a fella can talk until he's blue in the face, until the cows come home about how much he loves other people, but if he has opportunity to help those people in the fashion that's described in verse 17, but he does not do it, John has a big question mark, and the question mark is, where's the love? Where's the love? So, so love takes action. Now, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. Just because a person takes action, that doesn't mean they're demonstrating love. That is, not every action is a kind, thoughtful action. The one who has genuine love for his fellow man is going to be an individual who takes action. Now, the next thing I would list and really goes with that action is, love in my relationship with others causes me to serve. Okay? Not simply action, but love causes me to serve. Now in Galatians 5, more than once in that chapter, we read that we are people of freedom. We're people of liberty. We have freedom because of Jesus. We have liberty in Jesus. But we also learn from Galatians 5 that as we strive to walk in the Spirit, we do not have unrestricted freedom, right? In James 5, as we read about our freedom in Jesus, we also read about the works of the flesh, which if I engage in those without repentance, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so the freedom that Paul is describing is not a restriction-free freedom. If you look in Galatians 5 and verse 13, the appeal is don't use this freedom or liberty as an occasion to the flesh. In other words, don't develop a mindset that goes something like this. Well, I'm free to do whatever I want to do, and so I can just fulfill the lust of the flesh, and I can still walk with the Lord. No, I can't. But the conclusion of verse 13 is, rather than use our liberty as an occasion for the flesh or fulfilling the lust of the flesh, rather by love, what's it say? Serve one another. The action is serve. The recipients of that love are one another. It's a two-directional love. And the motive for that service is what? Love. It's not, it's not 
just carrying out a visitation assignment. It's not just getting stuck with somebody's name and address. It's serving out of love. I know the context is not about marriage. Brother Rick, I've developed a habit the last few funerals, I mean weddings that I've performed, to work that verse in and say to that fellow before he says, I do, and to say to that, that lady before she says, I do, you need to have a heart that's ready to serve one another in love. See if this sounds familiar. There was a non-Jewish woman from the land of Moab who moved to Bethlehem and there served and served and took care of her mother-in-law. We're talking about how Ruth dealt with Naomi. Did she serve? Yeah. She went what Jesus called the second mile, right? In demonstrating the heart of a servant. You know, husbands and wives do that all the time. It didn't make the headlines of Channel 3 news. Did I get the right one? Channel 3? Didn't make the headlines of Channel 3, Brother Dave. Doesn't get in the church bulletin. Doesn't get in the announcements. But you know, husbands and wives serve each other all the time. And you know, in those early years, and if it's the younger years in life, those things really flow well. But you know, as time goes along and challenges come, we tip our hats to those husbands and wives who stay with it and they serve in ways that they would have never thought imagined. They serve. We know so many brothers and sisters who behind the scene anonymously are are serving their brothers and sisters. They're helping the shut-ins. They're helping the elderly. They're just serving, and they do so out of love. Number one, what does love cause me to do? Love causes me to act. Number two, love causes me to serve. Number three, this is just an observation, really. Love touches lives. Why do you think the common people heard Jesus gladly? Mark 12, 37. Well, that could be a whole lesson. I think that's, there are probably a lot of answers to that question. But is it one of the reasons that people, the common people, were attracted to Jesus? Is he was down to earth and he touched people's lives in various ways. Do you remember the setting in which the Bible gives us those two words of Jesus, Jesus wept, or the two words about Jesus? Remember the setting? It was the death of his good friend Lazarus and Jesus had spoken to Martha and Jesus had spoken to Mary and Jesus saw the Jews who came for the purpose of comforting those sisters and the Bible says Jesus wept and the people's response was behold how he loved him. John 11, 35 and 36. Jesus demonstrated love and Jesus touched people's lives. You know, I think about grandparents and great-grandparents in the church who bring their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren to services. In some cases, somehow a generation is kind of lost in the shuffle. 
But those grandparents and those great-grandparents bring those children, those grandchildren, the great-grandchildren to services and have a tremendous influence on their lives. What they They're touching their lives. They're a blessing to their lives because of that love. Maybe you have done it yourself or maybe you've been closely associated with someone who's been a foster parent. We tip our hats on those folks. The things that they have to face, the rules and the regulations and the whims and the fancy of one judge or one caseworker, boy, they do it. And they do it. The Christians and I know who do it, they do it out of love. And you know what they're doing? They're touching lives. Because they're involved in, and they're taking action and they're serving. So, so love touches life. Another thing love does, love shares blessings. In Hebrews 13, you have a number of instructions. Okay. Number of distinct instructions. For example, in Hebrews 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Let brotherly love continue. Okay. Brotherly love continue. Verse number two is the idea to you know, entertain strangers, show hospitality. And verse three is the idea, remember those, don't forget those who are in chains or in bonds. And the idea of remembering those in chains or in bonds is not that, hey, yeah, he's in prison, but rather of, of, of seeing to their needs. And so you've got this idea in verse number one to, to show brotherly love. Number two, to demonstrate hospitality. And number three, to, to step up for and, and work to serve those who are in prison. What does love do? Love shares its blessings with the strangers and with those who are in prison. Hey, didn't I read somewhere in my Bible that Jesus talked about that? That he's going to say to some, I was in prison, and I was naked, and I was without food, and I was sick, and, and you came and you served me, and then people are going to say, what? When have we ever done that? He's going to say, inasmuch as you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. You think about the early church. The love that the early church showed among its members had to have left its mark on the ancient world. Don't you think? You read in Acts 4 after the beginning of the church that, that disciples willfully, voluntarily took their material resources and they sold them and they gave the money to the apostles to be distributed as people had need. What were they doing? They were showing love for each other. How were they showing their love for each other? They were sharing their blessings. Love shares blessings. And we're going to talk about the spiritual aspect of that in just a moment. Here's another thing love does, and this is a challenge. Especially when we've had some history with somebody. Love sees the best in other people. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5. The Bible says, love thinks no evil. So when I hear something about that person or I observe something in that person's conduct, love ought to cause me, in our language, to put the very best spin on that thing. I know that's how I would hope my brothers and sisters would deal with me. 
If they heard that old Roger Campbell did something or said something, I hope they would say, you know, I'd like to hear Paul Harvey's the rest of the story. I'd like to get the I'd like to get the context of what he did or said. I'd like to know more because that's why I'd like people to treat me. Giving people the what? The benefit of the doubt. Seeing the best in other people. That, that's what love does. But here's another thing that love does. Love sacrifices. Think about what Jesus said on the night of his betrayal. When he's with those apostles, he said, Greater love has no man than this, that a man should what? Lay down his life for his friends. John chapter 15 and verse number 12. Love sacrifices. And you know, you wasn't it something when we were kids? You know, when, when many of us in the assembly were kids, you know what we could be when we were kids? We could be kids. We didn't have access to a lot of things. There weren't as many activities. We could be kids. Wasn't it great to be a kid? When you were a kid, when you were two and three years old, or even five or six or 11 or 12 years old, you weren't concerned about whether you're going to have clothes to wear. Mom and Dad made sure you had clothes. You weren't concerned you'd be up in time to go to school. Mom and Dad, usually Mom, would make sure you're up in time to go to school. We had all those blessings that perhaps we didn't appreciate, perhaps we took for granted, but mom and dad, you know what they did in the process? And a lot of times we don't realize this until we become parents. Mom and dad make a lot of sacrifices. They give up activities in many cases in which they would love to engage, but they don't have the time and the money to do those things and also have their kids involved in their activities. Well, they're not whining. They're not crying. They're not saying that they're pitiful. They simply make those choices. They do without. They give up for the benefit of their children. For a long time, I'm pretty slow on some things, but for a long time, I couldn't figure out my mom's choice of which piece of chicken to eat. I grew up on a farm and we raised chickens and uh, we had a bunch of chickens, especially in the summertime. And my big brother, he always got whatever thigh he wanted. My big sister, she always got the pulley bone and my dad, he always got the breast and I always got a thigh or a leg and I always thought, Mom's weird, why does she choose a back or a wing? Well, you know what I found out later on? Those weren't her pieces of choice because that was her favorite piece to eat. She just wanted other people to have what they want. She, she, she gave up for the benefit of others. Okay? Love does that, right? Love sacrifices. You, you follow the life of Jesus and see what He gave up ultimately His own life. It was not about what's in it for me. It's how, how can I do for others? But here's another thing that love does. Love cares about what's important to other people. In our relationships with other people, as we're trying to build a bond with lost people, we're trying to strengthen our bond with family members and members of the church, what's important to them, we ought to care about that. Now, can some people just talk your leg off? Yeah, yeah they can. Can some people just talk about themselves and their activities? And wow, yeah, they can do that. 
But love cares about what's important to other people. You know, Philippians 2 and verse 5, the message of verse 4 is, we're not to think on our own things. That is not think only on our own things, but also on the what? The things of others. Now, that doesn't mean we go sticking our nose in where it doesn't belong. It doesn't mean we're a busybody. But it means we care about the things that are good for and important to others. And the very next verse says, let this mind be in you, which was in the Christ. Part of the spirit of Jesus was, he cared about people. Some of y'all have done this. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I, I, can, I can guarantee you some of you in this assembly have done this. Some of you didn't know a lick about football. When I say football, I mean soccer. You didn't know a lick about soccer, and you didn't care a lick about soccer, and you didn't care that you didn't know a lick about soccer. But now you know a little bit about soccer, and I can guarantee you how I know you know about soccer. You had grandkids. You had grandkids, or maybe kids, that played soccer. And now you know a little bit of the terminology, and you know at least which goal you want to kick it into. Why did you pick up a little bit of interest in soccer? Because you knew it was important to your grandkids. For the last couple of years, we've been back in the States for the last couple of years, uh, my wife and I get in the car a few times a year and drive two and a half hours to a hockey game. Why would we go to a hockey game? I'm not a hockey fan. We've got grandkids to play hockey. <laughs> Things are important to them, right? Important to us. Why are there a lot of wives who, before marriage, had zero, nil, no, nada interest in NASCAR? But now they can tell you the car numbers and the drivers and the sponsors. Why do they do it? Because it's important to their husband. They didn't care a lick about the Braves, but they can tell you who plays shortstop and left field and who the substitute catcher is. Why? Because it's important to their husband. Now, maybe the men got a lot of catching up to do. A lot of times we get the women interested in our stuff, but our wife says, hey, honey, you want to do this? Says, just go ahead, honey. You just go ahead. But love cares about what's important to the people. Isn't that the way Jesus was? Here's another thing love does, and if I said all the other things tonight, but I failed to mention this, then I will have let you down. Love reaches out to lost people. I was thrilled to hear the announcement tonight. I'd already read it in your bulletin. But I was thrilled to hear the announcement tonight that you all are going to be going this week to knock doors. I wrote an article a couple of days ago about what happens when we knock doors. I, I'm, I have a, a, a good friend whom I quoted in the article. This good friend of mine is a gospel preacher. And he told me a number of years ago, he said, I can't think of anything that's more of a waste of time in the United States than knocking doors. He's my friend, but I don't agree with that. I could tell you the names of individuals I know that are red-blooded Americans, and one just obeyed the gospel this past week in Hamilton County, who became associated with the church because somebody knocked on his door. It's not for everybody, but it's a way of what? Getting the gospel into people's hands. 
in one form or another. So I applaud you for doing that. Go for it. I'll pray for y'all's efforts. I'll pray for y'all's efforts. Love causes us to reach out to the lost. Didn't our Heavenly Father do that? Didn't our Heavenly Father, because of His love, reach out to the lost? For God so, what's the word? Loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3, 16. Didn't Jesus' love for the lost cause Him to go to the cross, stay on the cross, and shed His blood on the cross? Yeah, it did. Think about the Apostle Paul. Didn't his love for lost people cause him to teach? Paul felt like he was a debtor to the entire human race, right? He's called the Apostle of the Gentiles, but you know which people held a special place in Paul's heart? The Jews. He was a Jew, right? Romans 10 and verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Back in chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, in principle, Paul basically said this, and I'm, I'm Roger summarizing. Paul said, if my being accursed would result in my brethren, the Jews being saved, then let me be accursed. Here's a man who thought about lost people. Here's a man who talked about lost people. Here's a man who prayed about lost people. And then he went and talked to lost people about Jesus, the Son of God. The Bible says that on, on one occasion as Jesus had gone throughout all the villages of, of, of Galilee, that, that he, he looked at this multitude of Jews and the Bible says he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. You know what the Bible says then? He's moved with what? Compassion. He was touched deep down in his soul by their spiritual status. Brothers and sisters, love has got to cause us to reach out to lost people. Lost people who live next door. Lost people who are our biological family. Lost people with whom we work. Lost people whom we've never met before. Lost people on the other side of the world. Love causes us to reach out to the lost. I hate the clock here. It's always moved faster than I liked it to. Every time I've spoken here, it's been like that. But I want to mention one final thing tonight as we close. Love sends a message. Love sends a message. Go back to that setting where Jesus was with the apostles on the night of His betrayal. And He said, I want you to love each other like I have loved you. And He said, by this, by this shall all men know that you are My disciples if you have loved one for another. John 13, 34 and 35. Love sends a message. It sends a message to the world. It sends a message to our children. It sends a message to our church family. It sends a message. And of course, the obvious connection to that is where love is lacking, that also sends a message. You know, love is one of those characteristics that we can possess but we want to keep on growing. Isn't that right? We have Bible knowledge, but we want to keep on growing. We have joy, but we want to keep on growing. And we have love, but we want to keep on growing. If we can get the soil right, get the love right, then those other things will fall in place. God's love for us, our love for God, our love for a fellow man. I told you he's going to do it, and I don't need to leave here and not keep my word. It's 1 Corinthians 13. 
I'm going to read just a few verses. And then we'll grab a songbook. 1 Corinthians 13. Working with some of our smaller children on Sunday evenings, and one of the things we're doing is we're, we're trying to get them to associate certain Bible topics with certain chapters. We're going to read about creation, Genesis 1. We're going to read about the flood, Genesis 7. What's the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read now, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm reading from the King James where it says charity, I'm going to say to love. Verse 4. Verse 4 to verse 7. Love suffereth long. And is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. And then verse 8. Love never fails. Tonight we are blessed to be able to pick up a Bible. And read that Bible, and that's a demonstration of God's love. Tonight we're able to read in that Bible that God sent His Son to die for us, and that's a demonstration of God's love. Tonight we can read in that Bible that Jesus willingly went to the cross and shed His blood for our sins, and that's a demonstration of God's love. Oh, how thankful we are for the Godhead's love for us. And now what God wants from us is our love in return. If you're here tonight and you never obeyed the gospel, if you decided tonight to come and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I'm ready to turn from my sins and repentance and I'm ready to be baptized for the remission of sins, if you did that tonight, it'd be the greatest day of your life. The greatest day to this point and the greatest day in your entire life from birth to death. God would wash away your sins by the blood of Jesus, add you to His church, and you could move forward as a new creature in the Christ. Maybe tonight, as a child of God, you need the prayers of the saints. We'll take all the time we need to pray with you and pray for you. It's God's invitation. You need to respond. Would you come as you stand and we sing together?
Well, what a wonderful sermon on love, the soil from which all other fruit grows. Brother Roger, we appreciate you coming and being with us, and we're so thankful for that sermon, and I know that each of us benefited from it. Next week, uh, Brother David Smith from the North Hamilton Congregation will come and speak to us on long-suffering, sometimes painful to grow, but always pleasant to 